0: Mac Power Users, episode 567, The M1 Honeymoon Continues. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am joined today by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen?
1: I'm good, David. How are you?
0: I am doing well, thank you. We're in the holiday season... It's a weird year. We'll talk about that at the uh, the more power users part later, but it's a weird year. But at the same time, holidays always make me happy. I love having the tree up in the house. Um, I love playing Christmas music. I fall in for all the tropes.
1: Okay. I have a, a lot of questions right off the bat. Um, okay. Artificial or real natural tree?
0: Artificial, baby. California. Same. same. I
1: can't breathe in the house if there's a cedar tree slowly dying in the living room.
0: Yeah. I, I like the smell of a of a real tree, but I, same thing. And in a, in where I live, if you get a real tree, they fold up like an umbrella about half, you know, a week or two into right. it. And then you just worry that it's going to catch on fire and burn your house down. So
1: <laughs> Which is bad yeah. for the holidays. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. Okay.
1: Next question. When is the right time to put up the Christmas tree? Like, do y'all have a tradition for when it goes up? we We really
0: don't because it's it's a question of scheduling. um, if I had my way, it would be at at the latest the day after Thanksgiving,
1: okay, so we do ours the yeah, the weekend after Thanksgiving, usually the Sunday, and it's artificial. and you know, we got young kids, so the ornaments are like stuff they've made, stuff from our childhoods. Yeah. like there's no theme to our Christmas tree for a long time. I tried just to do like. Can I just have white lights and then whatever ornaments we want on that? But of course, I lose that conversation. So we have multicolored lights, different sizes. It's it's chaos, but it's fun chaos.
0: It's great anarchy. We have, uh, and this started with my mom. Literally every ornament on my tree means something. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't just like buy a box of round ornaments. Yeah, but every time we go on vacation, we buy an ornament, and every time one of the kids does something special you know, we'll buy an ornament and, you know, I have an ornament on the, one of my ornaments on my tree is the name tag you gave me at the relay meetup like five years ago. Oh it's like yeah. Wood, the, it's the wooden beautiful.
1: one, the laser cut wood one.
0: Yeah. So when we look at our tree, it's like every ornament has a story to tell. That's and cool. it's It's just wonderful.
1: Mine's right here. I keep, uh, I'm going to do a little Foley work. This is a, a feedback episode. It's just going to get weird.
0: Okay. I'm gonna do a little Foley
1: right. work here. I'm going to roll over here. Oh, my headphones. I think take my headphones out. So I keep all of my name tags and things.
0: There they are. I hear them.
1: They all just uh, hang up there on the wall next to my desk.
0: Well, that one was so good looking, I turned it into a Christmas ornament. But anyway, yeah, enough of that. They, I, I just love having it. And, and the good news is we have a puppy this year. She has no interest in the tree, the ornaments, or the packages, which I thought was, you know, going to be a problem. I had a strategy. If she was going to go after the tree, I was going to just park the vacuum cleaner in front of it Mm because she hates that so much that I'm thinking she'd probably stay away, but I didn't need to do that, so that's good. It's good. All right. (laughs) Uh, Feedback episode. Yes. Uh, Before we start, Paperless Field Guide is is going gangbusters. Thanks, everyone, for your support, and I've had a bunch of really nice email and comments from folks who got it and are are digging in on their paperless system. Uh, one of the listeners wrote in, and his company is now using the Max Sparky field guide, paperless field guide to go paperless. Wow. And I love that. Um, uh, so just you know, check it out, everybody, over at the learn.maxsparky.com. And that, that introductory price is still there for um, another week or so. So if you want to get it at the discount, go get it. But thanks, everyone, for the support. It really I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's cool. It was neat to see people online say like, oh, this was my introduction to David and the introduction to Mac power users. And now it's now it's back and updated for the, the new decade.
0: Yeah. So, but we're going to talk about feedback today. And I thought that with everything that's happened, the upheaval in the Mac line, uh, we should start by just maybe doing a check-in now that we've been using these M1 Macs for a while.
1: Yeah. So... Uh, like I shared, I bought my wife a MacBook Air. She is absolutely loving it. It's silent. The battery ruins all day. She uses, she's using Microsoft Teams and video conferencing all day because she teaches in the public schools, but teaches from home. And that's been, uh, that's been really going well. And I was so impressed with it, I ended up with the 13-inch MacBook Pro and selling my 16-inch. And the smaller screen size has taken some getting used to, but um if you're on the fence about the MacBook Pro versus the Air I'll say a couple of things. One like the only time I've heard the fan is when I was transcoding two streams of 4K video and each stream was about 20 minutes long and after a few minutes I heard it. But that was to be expected. Yeah. Uh and the battery life's really good. Um uh, I think it's a little bit better than the Air. Apple says it is and sort of mm. like anecdotally around my house it seems like the Pros might be a little bit better than the Air. But I think performance-wise, unless you're doing those big, long, sustained things, like we said, the MacBook Air is so, so good. I don't think there's a really compelling reason to move up to the MacBook Pro unless you just want the touch bar, which a lot of people do, or you want uh, kind of a better sense of, okay, I could do these longer, sustained operations without being uh, slowed down. But I think, hands down, the best Mac to buy right now is that M1 MacBook Air.
0: Yeah, I mean, I really think that the M1 and the MacBook Air were really made for each other. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of tale of woe with my M1 MacBook. Oh no, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, about a week after we recorded the show on, you know, the release of the M1 MacBook, and I got mine. Mine started acting up. It was uh, there was something going on in the boot process, and when I would go to boot it up, it would freeze. I couldn't get it to the startup screen and i'm not sure if it's maybe some software installed i do install some beta software or i don't know if it's a hardware problem but i couldn't even troubleshoot it because i couldn't get to the actual operating system and this happened just kind of suddenly i called apple support and they thought it was a hardware problem but then i said well can i just nuke and pave it and they're like no you can't because this is so new we don't really have the nuke and pave procedure because the whole thing is like the t2 is now integrated into the chip so actually nuking and paving one of these is actually a little bit harrowing right now i think there's yeah, f-
1: as i found out <laughs> yeah i spoke about that on uh on connected where i had to like go through this big like dance with an Apple support page to nuke and pave one. It's definitely early days.
0: Yeah. Well, either way, they they were convinced it was hardware. And I was really sad because I had my beautiful MacBook Air and I had started using it. And I was really excited. And I said, okay, well, can I bring it in to get checked out? And they said, there are no appointments available. And I said, "Well, I'm in Southern California. There's a lot of stores. I'll be willing to drive." And they're like, "No, there's just no appointments available in Southern California. Call back in a week and um, you know, and then we'll try and get you a priority, but th- give it a week." <laughs> and I was like, "I was really disappointed at Apple. You know, come on, man. I just bought this $1000 computer. I just want to get it working." And so, um that that was the same day that I got the call to pick up my iMac Pro from the shop and I had dropped it off at a local Apple store and they had finished it. So I decided rather than wait a week and try and get an appointment, I'm just going to return this because it's in the window and it's not working. And, you know, I, I just felt like it'd be easier just to return it and get a new one, you know? And um, so I went into the store, I returned it. There was no problem. They, they didn't have an issue with it. And um, I said, do you have any in stock? You know, because I decided that I was going to get one that I, I wanted to have one, Stephen. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah <laughs> you know? I, I understand.
0: And um, and they said, yeah, we only have the MacBook Pros. So I I I bought the five twelve uh, uh, gigabyte thirteen um, inch MacBook Pro with M one in it, and um, and I I said, well, in my head, I'm thinking this might just be a loner, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because then I'll order the one that I really want. And the intention was to order another MacBook Air. But then I used this MacBook Pro for a few days. And I'm like, you know what? I really like this. And you never hear the fan. I mean, the reason I I really like the MacBook Air is I wanted to use it fanless. But you never hear the fan on this thing. So I went and and ordered a a souped-up MacBook Pro. And I'm still using this Temp one. But the the new one arrives tomorrow. And it's a a long tale of woe. I didn't really want to get into it on the show. But how, you know, it's Mac Power Users. I got to tell you guys everything. And, uh, so I, I am now on my second M1 and I'll be on my third one tomorrow.
1: <laughs> people say I have the problem. Well, I, I didn't expect it to break, man. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that stinks. Um, and you know, yeah. there are a lot of people who sort of live by the, the wisdom of don't get first gen hardware. Okay. Like, yeah. well, my two Macs are Mac pro and M1 MacBook pro. So I don't really subscribe to that clearly. But things yeah. can happen, but I think that's just luck of the draw. And you know, I don't think there's anything widespread with these things. I don't think you sh- people out there should listen to this and fear that something bad is going to happen if they buy one. But it just is how it goes sometimes.
0: Yeah, I, and I don't, I don't think I'm not trying to like start a MacBook Air gate here. But sure, just something went something went wrong, and it could have been me because, like I said, I installed a lot of software and it did work for a few days. Um, but the either way, um so i decided i'm going to stick with the macbook pro um i actually do like the touch bar you and i both wrote a blog post about it in the last couple of weeks about what we were doing with our touch bars and i just decided you know what i'm just going to keep it so um i uh i have been getting though because there's a big question about these m1s is how much ram do you get i have been getting out of ram errors Ooh. So I sent you some screen screenshots. It's just, you know, I use a lot of apps, and a lot of them are memory-heavy, and 8 gigabytes apparently isn't enough for me.
1: That's a bummer. So what happens when you hit one of those errors? Does it lead you to quit an application, or what does that look like? It puts
0: up a dialog box and shows you what the RAM usage is for each app and gives you the opp- opportunity to to throw a few overboard. Okay. And, you know, I, like... I run Obsidian, which is, you know, an Electron app. And I've been doing a lot of experiments lately with MailMate and, and some other apps. And just, you know, for a lot of reasons, I am RAM heavy on my Mac. So mm-hmm. uh, the the one I ordered, it has 16 gigabytes of RAM and a yeah. slightly uh, increased hard drive. So I'll be good when the new one arrives. And honestly, I, the 13 inch win, uh, window into my computer is fine. I like the size and the portability of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are famous last words, but this M1 Mac, I could end up keeping this one quite a while. It's just so perfect for what I need.
1: So no, it's a fantastic machine. And again, like you said this, and I just keep coming back to it because every time I think about it, I chuckle. These are the slowest ones. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And and like, we are going to hear maybe in six months or a year about a new 16 inch M something MacBook that's going to be even faster and have a big screen. I'm not sure that I would, that siren song would call out to me. Um, This one is great for everything I'm doing on it. Um, If they made a touchscreen one, or if they like brought some of the other hardware innovation, like face ID and stuff, and that would be tempting to me. But overall, this is a really nice computer and, uh, and I'm really happy with it. Um, And the thing that's crazy about Apple Silicon is how quickly you adapt to it. Like, i i still work a lot on my imac pro and like app opening times window render times there's all sorts of little tiny things that feel like paper cuts now that never did i'm like damn it m1 mac has wrecked me
1: that's that's how they get you the macbook air came in and uh swept uh, everything else off its feet
0: yeah it's crazy but it's so exciting, just you know, it's thinking so about this. I mean, what's going to happen over the next couple of years? I, I honestly, for as a nerd, but also for the show, I just can't wait to go on this journey to see what we have.
1: Yeah, it's such a rare time that we get to go through one of these, and it's it's such a an exciting time. I, I totally agree. Uh, next week, we're gonna do our. We did it last year too. I guess it's now our a tradition where we're gonna talk about. A little bit about the previous year and what we're looking forward to in the next year, sort of in, in our sphere. I think a lot of that episode is going to be about what in the world is coming next with Apple Silicon.
0: Yeah, I have a question I want you to think about between now and next week is how many M1 chips are we going to get before there's an M2 chip? You know, how many uh-huh. iterations do we get?
1: Yes, I do have a I do have a theory about that. So, yeah, we can talk All about right. that. Um. All right you mentioned something that I just wanted to touch on about you know upgrading the SSD and the memory we've talked about this before people asking what should i prioritize in my budget when i buy a a new mac and i think for a long time the two of us have said you know storage first and then mem- and then memory and then if you want to upgrade the cpu or gpu or have a need to do that Last and now that's even simpler because at least with the current Apple Silicon Macs, you know we don't know what could happen in the higher end. Maybe there will be different tiers of 5K iMac running at different clock speeds. We just don't know what they're going to do. But for now, uh, the only option is seven versus eight core GPU on the MacBook Air, which I don't think matters at all. I don't think there's any real reason to to do the eight unless you just want to. But yeah. I, I still think it's storage and then and then memory, but uh, what do you think? Has has your thought changed on that using this 8-gigabyte model? Yeah,
0: really, I feel like if you are listening to the Mac power users, there's a really good chance you're going to have the same problem I have with the memory limitation. So rather than – I don't want to prioritize these anymore. I almost think it's an and. We get so much email from listeners talking about Macs that they've bought That they are not that they're no longer useful to them, not because the Mac is no longer working, but because they the storage problem, you know, they just didn't get enough storage and it's a complete pain in the neck to carry around an extra drive or do whatever you have to do to get enough storage. Um, and then with this, with this generation, I feel like eight gigabytes of RAM, it may just not be enough for you. Um, like, so my wife's computer is an eight gigabyte. Um, with seven graphic core m1 macbook air and it's fine she does browsers she does email you know she does basic stuff but if you're doing like producing things even like as a lot of word processing and stuff like that i i feel like you want to get 16 gigabytes so i would recommend if you want a computer that's going to last a long time doing both it's easy to spend other people's money isn't it
1: oh it's great uh, but I think you're probably right. I think that with these new systems um it's gonna be that memory's gonna be an important factor and on one hand, that may get better over time as we're reliant on Rosetta less and less as apps become native. but I think they're sort of two sides of a coin now and and if it means you know waiting another month so you can go from eight to sixteen gigs of memory, I think that's a reasonable trade off.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple different people buying these. Some people are saying, I just want to get one because they're M1 and I want to play with it. But ultimately, my needs are something bigger or different. Mm-hmm. And they're buying the entry level MacBook Air just to have one to, to goof off with, with the idea that they're going to sell it at some time in the future. Sure. And that's fine. Just get a stock one. You're good. You'll get the experience. But then there's a lot of people, you know, uh, probably the smarter people who <laughs> buy a computer and then run it until the wheels fall off, and then put the wheels back on and try and run it a little longer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for those people, I think that a few years down the road, storage and RAM could really become an issue for you if you get in at the entry level. This episode is brought to you by our friends at 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps to get 20% off your subscription for 1Password for Families. Gang, 1Password is here for macOS Big Sur. They have really delivered the goods this year. It's just amazing to me how every year they become a little bit more integrated with the operating system, and 1Password feels like it's just part of the macOS. And this year, the big, big feature they added is if you have a Mac with secure enclave on it, you can now unlock 1Password with your watch. It's awesome. So I'm sitting there at my iMac Pro. I installed the update. I needed to do something with 1Password. I'm so tired of typing in my one password every time I have to do it. Not anymore. I just double tap my watch and I'm in and uh, I'm not even sure how they did it, but I guess they found a way in and Apple thought it was okay. So now one password unlocks with your Apple watch right on your secure enclave Mac. And that just makes it so much more easier, you know, to use safe and secure passwords. One password uh, does a lot for all of us that use it for me one of my favorite features of 1Password is the secure note feature because, you know, 1Password does a great job of making passwords and filling them in for you. But it also gives you this secure section on your storage that is notes that you can keep that other people can't see, even if they can get into your devices. And, you know, New Year's coming up, uh, you know, we're, we're having to get our, our health insurance sorted out. And I've got all this medical data that I need to share, but I don't want to like keep that like in an Apple note where anybody who can open my, my phone can see all my medical stuff. So I put it in a secure note and one password. And when I'm on the phone with the insurance people, I can just open that up and get what I need. And when I'm done, I push the button and that locks that note up and nobody can get it without getting through my 1Password vault. And it just makes me so happy. There's a bunch of other features we use with it. We have family sharing. I've got my kids using good password security now because we're on 1Password for families. And you know we just keep all of our secret data in there. When we had to um, evacuate our house twice this year, <laughs> the uh, one of the nice things is I have saved all of my insurance details and everything for the house insurance. To one password, and it's saved in the One Password Secure Vault. So if something bad happened, I had all the details I need to get a hold of the people I need. So it's just a great companion. And as you start the new year, if you're not using One Password, why not start using it now? Because it can make a huge difference for you. You go to onepassword.com/mpu, sign up for a family plan, get your family in on it, and that way they'll have good password security too. So once again, that's onepassword.com/mpu in all caps. Sign up today. They're a great company working really hard to keep you safe. So why not take advantage of that? Thank you, OnePassword, for all of your support of the Mac Power users.
1: I love the Apple Watch un- unlock so much. Yeah, it's like what I-, I didn't even know that was coming, and
0: I'm always talking to those guys, and yeah, it was great.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. All right, so we have a bunch of listener feedback to work through. Uh, do we want to start with Brenda's bookmarks?
0: Yeah, I, I feel like that it's a story that needs an ending. Um, it is. On our last, in our last installment on Brenna's Bookmarks, she, she wrote in about her 1,400 bookmarks, and we were both kind of amazed, and I think I said, Brenna, send me a screenshot. I need to see this. And she did. And these bookmarks are the best organized, most curated list of bookmarks I have ever seen, and I'm not exaggerating.
1: She's also playing to the crowd a little bit because, uh, the bookmark folder we saw is a bunch of Apple history stuff. So
0: yeah, Yeah, she knew, (laughs) she knew who was going to be seeing
1: this. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I know it's, it is, uh, super well organized. It does make me kind of wish that organizing bookmarks in Safari was maybe a little bit easier. I spent some time in, in that view, uh, in preparation of the show, just kind of looking through my own bookmarks and. I feel like it could be a little bit easier to like edit the name and you got to right click a bunch of stuff. And if you click too quick, it opens the tab, that sort of thing. Um, But one thing I definitely want to make sure people know about is the trick in Safari Uh, to any folder. There's an open in new tabs at the bottom of the view. So for instance, when I catch up Relay's bookkeeping, I have like our bank, the invoicing system, ad tracking system couple of other websites just in a folder and I can open that whole folder all at once. And so I get all of those, whatever it is, five, six, seven tabs opened all at once. And I mean, I use this feature in Safari countless times a week.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I do think that like Brenna kind of opened my eyes to the idea of bookmarks is like a bookshelf for the internet kind of thing where Anything that's important to her on the internet is very quickly accessible through a hierarchical set of bookmarks. Mm -hmm. And and there was definitely a lot of effort put into this. But I think if you want to reference things often, this is a pretty efficient way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. The other advantage is if you're using something like Alfred or LaunchBar, you can have it index your bookmarks. So getting to those pages is going to be way more secure and reliable through Alfred or, or LaunchBar.
1: Yeah, So in, I use Alfred and I have my Safari bookmarks uh, searchable in Alfred, you can turn it on and you can set a keyword. So I can type BB and then MPU and I get all of my MPU bookmarks and I can just go down in Alfred and hit the one that I want. Also super, super useful.
0: Another thing I do with bookmarks is I, um, there's a setting in Safari called the favorites bar. Uh, you hit shift command B to toggle it off and on, but I keep it on and I have a favorites bar of bookmarks, which are the ones that are key to me. And you can put folders of bookmarks in that as well. So I can access my most frequently used bookmarks right across the top of the, of the browser bar and Mm -hmm. it takes up, you know, all of 15 pixels or something. So it doesn't take up a lot of space but gives you a way to very quickly mouse navigate to any bookmarks and like things that I use every day, you know, the learn.maxparky administrative site, or, you know, the air table for the field guide I'm working on, or, you know, just stuff that I'm doing frequently is one click away. And then using the the folder, like embedding a folder in that bar lets me put a whole bunch of other stuff there that are two clicks away. So um, if you're having trouble accessing your bookmarks, now, I'm not a big fan of that left side of the screen bookmark menu Safari Agreed. has because I, I, it takes up too much real estate. You know, I don't want to give the, that much to bookmarks. But uh, if you use that um, show f- or favorites bar, you may be able to get a lot of the, the main bookmarks you need very quickly.
1: That's where all of mine are. I don't have any stored anywhere else. Yeah. Well,
0: I I thought um, Brenna's screenshot was you know I I thought it was silly when I heard it and then when I saw what she's doing I'm like oh yeah she's really smart mm-hmm. yeah that, that's a good way to do it. Um, how do you? I thought it'd be fun just to say okay let's talk about that top bar then. What are the bookmarks you have up there?
1: Um, so the the first one is just a a single page that opens the sort of the home screen of the Relay FM CMS because okay. I'm in there. A bajillion times a day, yeah. And what is neat in Safari, if it's a single web page, you can do Command Option in my case Command Option One because it's the first single page bookmark up there. So anywhere I am in Safari, if I need to go to the the CMS, I can do Command Option One and it loads that wherever I am. Yeah. Now that doesn't work with folders. So in my case that's actually the only single page bookmark that I have in the favorites bar. So command option two doesn't open the folder that's next to it, for instance. Sure. But it is handy to get to something if you have single pages. Um, So down from there, it's a handful of folders. I've got one for uh, 512 pixel stuff. So like the site, the YouTube dashboard, memberful for my 512 membership, stuff that I need for the blog. The next one is a folder of Relay FM administrative stuff. So that that folder I mentioned a second ago, where I go and update all the books, that's a subfolder in there. I've got a different one that has all the websites I need to close the month, membership stuff. You know, basically areas of responsibility within Relay FM. Uh, next to that is podcasts. So I have that's where I have all the show notes for my various podcasts. So. Connected, Liftoff, MPU, Ungenius, et cetera. They all have either their Google folder or their Google document, however they sort of uh, are managed is there. And then I've got one that everyone probably has called Other, which just has a bunch of other stuff in it that doesn't belong in the other folders.
0: So I, I have a, several single page bookmarks. Like Max Sparky is number one. And then the Squarespace site for Max Barkey is number two. So like uh, the number one gets me to the site as published, and number two gets me to the back end. And then the third one is the learn.maxbarkey back end, which I'm in quite often. And then I've got a couple for some Airtables. like whatever field guide I'm currently working on, there's always an Airtable that's kind of the backbone of it. So I can check status on that. And then I have recently um you've been really on this kick of contextual computing. So I've turned a lot of access to web pages away from bookmarks and more to um, uh, keyboard maestro scripts that are contextual based. So I can and like, if I want to get to the website, because we're doing the feedback episode today, like one of the things I do, if somebody emails me something for feedback, I select it in the email and then I hit a keyboard maestro script and I've got a contextual list related to Mac Sparky. so I'd, I'd hit Control Option Command M for Mac Sparky. and then that opens up a a, a conflict menu in Keyboard Maestro. I know I'm kind of getting in the weeds here, but hang in there with me. And then if I hit M, then that just gives me the Mac Power Users items, and then if I hit um, F, then it goes to the feedback. So what it does, it takes the contents of the clipboard, it opens up the Google document that um has the feedback list in it that steven and i share then it moves the cursor to the bottom inserts a bunch of um dashes then hits a return and then pastes in whatever i took out of the email okay and so so all that stuff where i used to go to bookmarks to do that now i just run a keyboard macro script that does it for me so i guess it's a long way of saying i don't use these bookmarks as much as i used to and then i've got three folders Uh, Mac law and personal and you know under those you'll find the relevant you know links to podcasts and Mm -hmm. legal websites and personal then I've got I've got a a whole set of folders for forums because I've got the Mac power users forum the automators forum and uh, a couple other forums that I participate in and I just had to put those all up front because I wasn't going to them often enough and it's there as a reminder for me now to, to go to the forums and then we've got some some special um, bookmarks we use with relay when we add a um, website or an, a product or something to show notes. And I, I've got a separate folder group mm-hmm. for those two.
1: Yeah. Those are in a subfolder for me. And I have, I think I have every show now at this point, because at some point I've had to do something for somebody. So yeah, I just have a, I a long list of them.
0: Yeah. Either way. I mean, bookmarks are, I think they're, they were the big thing for a long time and now everybody's like, they're too cool for bookmarks. But you shouldn't be too cool for bookmarks. There's no. really good stuff you can do with them. Readwise. Uh, we talked about that in the last month. It's a service that I signed up for, readwise.io, that automatically collects all my highlights from all of my Amazon books I read and all the Instapaper articles I read and a whole bunch of other things. And it allows me to export all those highlights as a markdown file so I can put it into my research tool of choice it also sends me a daily email that lets me kind of go through and read five selected highlights that I thought were important to kind of reinforce things in my brain. And it's a service that I'm I'm really fond of. And uh, we heard from a bunch of listeners that hadn't heard of it and now are totally on board with it. it does cost money, though. And a lot of people don't want to spend money on stuff like this um they did come out since we talked about it on the show with a mid-tier price plan so it's a little cheaper if you want to get in and um are it seems like they're doing a lot but that that app has changed they updated the app and I, i think they're trying to like kind of really grow that into a business but we also heard from a bunch of listeners that have rolled their own and i thought that was really cool Um, One of the listeners wrote in, and I apologize, I couldn't find your name after I went back and added it to the feedback show. I didn't copy your name. Sorry. Um, But uh, he or she was emailing himself or herself the highlights out of the Amazon app to the Gmail address with a special Gmail tag applied so uh, they could go back and look at highlights based on a Gmail tag. I thought that was pretty clever.
1: I saw in preparation for this uh, that a lot of people are using, obviously, uh, these tools to get, like, Kindle highlights and that sort of stuff, you know, gather them all in one place. I saw that Goodreads, which is a service, I guess, that's, like, connected to the Kindle, that they're clamping down on people sharing stuff out via their API. I think it's really early to see what that means, but uh, you can always, like, the way I do it, I just open the Kindle for Mac app and export my highlights so you can always get to them even if maybe some system you're using may break down because of this change at goodreads
0: yeah yeah Yeah. and and goodreads is more of a book discovery service than what read what readwise really is designed around what are your highlights and and uh, to me the the value in it is because it's part of my morning routine is i go and read my readwise kind of highlights and it's just great what they surface because I've read so many books and there's just so many highlights in there that it's nice reminders for me of things that I thought were important that I may have lost track of. Um, but, you know, it's each his own. Um, you could also just export them to text and keep them. I mean, there's a lot of ways to do this without paying somebody.
1: Mm-hmm. We can talk about Apple Mail. It's not a feedback episode without it.
0: Yeah, It isn't. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can't escape Larry it. wrote in. Hey, someday when you
0: have time, please tell us in a podcast how you can possibly use Apple Mail professionally. I'm a retired geek and I've wanted to use Apple Mail forever, but it has too many issues with Gmail or G Suite. Thanks. Apple Mail, you know, it's the app that we love to hate. I don't know how else to put it.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things that like it does what it says on the tin, right? Like it's not like it doesn't. (laughs) do what it's supposed to do usually but it's just so stagnant in terms of of features and especially on ios we've we've beaten this drum to death i feel like but integration with other applications and services is like not something apple's ever thought about it seems like with mail on ios and that's a bummer
0: yeah i have um well, let's start with answering this question about add-ons for Apple Mail. I, in order to make Apple Mail work the way I want it, I have to bolt on a bunch of extra pieces. You know, it's like the, uh, you see like those those uh, kit cars, you know, where they make a cool car, but then they bolt on the spoiler. Sure. And maybe they cut a hole in the, do they still do that? They cut the hole in the hood where the engine pops out of the hood. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. That's my it, that's my visualization of what I've done to Apple Mail. <laughs> <laughs>
1: look, look, I got truck parts for Christmas. Okay, like I. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Of course you. I used to have
0: some cool Hot Wheels when I was a kid that had the engine sticking out of the hood, and I oh, thought yeah. that was totally badass. But then I thought, how could they see when you're driving? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, um, the uh, so what I did to Apple Mail. Uh, number one is SaneBox, their sponsor. Yada yada. You know, this isn't a sponsor read. I was a customer before they were sponsored blah blah, but it just really adds a bunch of features to Apple Mail that Apple Mail seemingly will never get, like the ability to check up on replies and to you know filter mail. It just adds a bunch of features that you wouldn't have otherwise. So uh, Apple Mail would not work for me to answer Larry's question without having like something like Samebox attached. And um, the other thing I use is Mail Suite, and MailSuite is. I have mixed feelings about it. You know, it, it adds a ton of power features to Apple Mail. Like you can delay send and you can add all these cool rules and conditions for rules when things go out, when they come in. And I have totally tricked Mail Suite out that has mail tags as part of it, which gives you the ability to add tags. So I can add tags like client name to every email related to that client and find a, have an easy way to keep them together without having a bunch of folder madness. The downsize is every time they update Mac OS, we go through this period where you don't know if MailSuite is going to make the jump or not, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just terrifying that, you know, you're going to build your whole mail system on this third party tool that may or may not be there, you know, and um, so much so that I've been looking again at ways to get out of Apple Mail. Um, and we'll do maybe a show on this or something in the future. This is way more than to talk about on a feedback show, but the the short version is I, uh, I, I used mailmate for three weeks. You know, we did yeah. the mail show mailmate is a really great app. I mean, there's so much to love about it. And like, even like one of the things mailmate does is when you send an email, if you have the word attachment in the email, but you don't have an attachment, mailmate says, Hey, uh, before I send this, you have the word attachment in your email. Do you want to stop and put an attachment on this
1: email? Oh, that's so That's like the most embarrassing thing with an email. It's like, hey, check yeah. out this this invoice. Oh, I didn't send it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so smart. And it has
0: a tagging system built in. You can write your own key bindings. I mean, it's it pushes all the nerd buttons. The thing I didn't like about it was if you use two Macs, it's actually pretty complicated to get it all to work on two max anyway i'm 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 even looking at um the hay for companies for some for one of the things i'm doing so i'm i'm, I'm trying a lot of different things guys and i don't know i don't really have anything to share yet i'm not sure what i think but but uh larry's question just kind of triggered me it, it is really hard to get this stuff to work and the thing I, I love about Apple Mail is that it works. The thing I don't love about it is that I have to resort to all these third-party solutions in order to get the features I want out of it.
1: Yeah, the the bit about add-ons breaking with updates and stuff—that's basically turned me off to this whole scene. I, I use Sanebox, which is a sponsor, but uh, I really like their service, and it kind of rides outside of Mail app, so Apple can do whatever they want to, and yeah, Sanebox lives outside service, of all of that, really. Uh, So that's that's all that I use in addition to Apple Mail. And honestly, that's enough for me.
0: Um, We did the show on Read It Later services. And one of the things we talked about is text-to-speech engines. But we didn't really give it enough time on the show. Brandon wrote in and said that he liked that show, but he thought that we didn't talk enough about Pocket. He says pocket's unique text-to-speech engine feature it's one of the best text-to-speech engines around and there's no comparison to instapaper so i went back and listened to it and it does sound more human than instapaper the you know the the reason i guess i didn't give that enough coverage when we talked about it is i just as much as i think that's a great feature i just never use it
1: yeah i don't i don't either i can read faster than it can read to me and even as someone who makes their living in podcasts, like I don't, I don't do audio books either. That sort of listening just doesn't work for me for whatever reason.
0: I asked the question on a show about the, the video cameras and the microphones and the Macs. you know, that light question. I don't remember what the context of it. I remember asking the question, but I don't remember what show it was, but you know, the little, I think I asked you as a former genius, the little green light that pops on when the camera activates in your Mac. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked how much can I trust that, you know, is it something where I know that the camera's not on if the light is off and even more importantly, the microphones, because I think people forget about the microphone,
1: multiple microphones now, right? They all have more than one.
0: Yeah. Daniel did the research for us.
1: Right. So what Apple says is that the camera is engineered in such a way where the camera itself and the light are, are tied together. So the camera cannot be activated unless that light is on. They're like the same, effectively the same thing from the user perspective. Apple has a document about this. Uh, They also have on T2 Max uh, there it goes even further, or I guess T2 and now M1 Max. Uh, There is a um, basically the T2 handles this, and so there's a hardware disconnect for the microphone. So if you close the lid to your laptop, the microphone is like physically hardware disconnected from the machine. And I think that's about as secure as you could get like physically disconnecting something, right? Like it's it's not like yeah. oh the software tells it to go to sleep. Like it is a hardware thing. And there is nothing that can get around that. Now, the camera doesn't work this way, but the microphone does. And I think between those two things, that's definitely enough for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, you don't have to worry about the camera when you shut the lid because right. the camera can't see anything. let's closed. But yeah. But they I, I think that's actually really good. And I know Apple's got this focus on privacy. I actually, you know... I. I I believe it. I I think that they have gone out of their way to make sure that number one, the camera doesn't turn on without you knowing it. And number two, um, the microphones actually have the ability to disconnect. So when your laptop is in the corner of the room, it's not listening to you. And um, you know, amen for that. Mm -hmm. We talked, I believe it was on the show with Jim Metzendorf about using audio equipment to record family. Yes. Yes and um the uh you know listener wrote in to talk about we actually had several listeners writing about it, but charles put together a a whole recording rig for under 200 bucks and went and did a bunch of interviews with his mom and you know, just uh you know just reading about how he did it it didn't cost that much money he's really happy with the product of it uh, i i wish so much i had done this with my mom mm. you know i i mean she looking back i didn't do it because i thought like you know, how do you approach this with her to say, Hey, someday you're going to be dead. And I want these stories for my kids, yeah. you know, you know, but looking back, I also think she would have been like, Oh yeah, I want to tell you all these stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I was stupid and uh, now I've paid a price for that. So don't be like me, be like Charles.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's an awkward conversation to have, but definitely one that's, that's worthwhile. I mean, this is sort of, sort of related, but, you know, my parents are in their mid-60s, and, you know, we've had to have some conversations around, like, things that you want, like, let's make sure that you have, uh, you know, will and testament, like, all that stuff, and, yeah, like, those conversations, they're just, they're just awkward, but they are well worth having, because you don't want to be in a situation where you, where you can't, you can't do that. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Woven. The all-in-one calendar, perfect for busy people. Woven syncs all of your calendars in one place, including Google, G Suite, Microsoft 365. What this lets you do, it lets you see all of your time, both personal and professional, in one place. I know that when I don't have a hold on my calendar, I feel disorganized and that impacts my work because I'm worried about things that I'm missing or deadlines that I'm not meeting. Woven is a tool that can help solve those things by bringing everything together in one place. It also builds scheduling links so you can send off links to get something on your calendar. You can quickly time block your week using Woven's smart templates. And they have built-in analytics so you can easily calculate where you're spending your time so you can make time for what matters most. Take control of your calendar and improve your workflow. As a listener of Mac Power users, you can try Woven for free for 21 days at woven.com or click the link in the show notes. That's woven, W O V E N.com. Our thanks to Woven for their support of this show and Relay FM. Um,
0: a, a little more follow up. Um, we t- did a whole show on video conferencing with Leanna Lahua. And Dave D wrote in with an excellent piece of advice that I feel guilty for not sharing on that show. And he said, if you're using a laptop, make sure to raise the laptop. Because as your laptop sits, the camera is below your nose. And what that means is that the uh, the video of you is going to be a great shot right up your nostrils. <laughs> Now I do all my video conferencing on my iMac, so it never it's an issue. It's never been an issue. The camera is above me. But yeah, that's a problem, man.
1: Yeah, you gotta get some books or something to to put under there. Uh sometimes the iMac can even be too tall. And so maybe you need to raise your seat or angle it down or something. You gotta uh make sure you've got a, a good angle there. And we covered in that
0: show lighting, sound, um, you know natural light versus artificial light ring lights. We never talked about camera position. What a, what a bozo. Sorry gang. <laughs> you want to talk about Martin's uh, email?
1: Yeah. So uh, Martin wrote in about the transitions in the max life. So we have, um, we have the Intel transition. We have the, the transition to power PC. And of course now we have where we are today. Uh, Martin argues that there's actually a fourth transition going from 32-bit to 64-bit architecture. And Apple did that with um, after the move to Intel, even though like the G5 was 64-bit, like it took a while for the whole OS and everything to move over. And now of course, 32-bit software is not supported anymore in Mac OS itself. Uh, The iPhone did the same thing with the iPhone 5S and the A7 going from 32-bit to 64-bit, which was a big deal at the time. It was the first mobile chip to do that. I don't think this is as impactful as the other transitions are. I understand what Martin's saying, but I don't think it rises to the same same level as the other transitions because those other transitions impact everybody. And like, yes, everybody technically is impacted by 32 to 64-bit, but most people don't know what that means. And most people never hit the limitations of 32-bit technology anyways, like RAM ceilings and other issues. And so it is a transition, but I don't think it's on the same platform as the others.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I feel like this M1 transition has been truly a boil the ocean project Mm -hmm. for Apple, whereas the 32 to 64-bit transition was not so much.
1: Yeah, I think they did that because the industry was doing it. And it, I mean, yes, it has long-term changes, but it doesn't like redefine the Mac in the way that, that this has.
0: I, I also theorize that or hypothesize that the reason they did the big 64-bit transition on Mac last year was so that people could get their apps to 64-bit or, you know, or, or fall out of the ecosystem before the, the Apple Silicon transition. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't think they wanted the Apple Silicon transition story to be, Oh, a bunch of my apps don't work anymore. You know, I agree. That's the last thing they
1: wanted. They let Catalina be the bad guy. Yep. And, and I think Apple was fine with that for that, for that exact reason. They just couldn't have the, the arm, m1 transition be defined by oh my old software is broken because people want to understand that oh it's actually not because of the software it's because of this other thing people yeah. want to understand that and these machines yeah. would get the rap of oh uh if you buy this new laptop a bunch of your software will never work again like let yeah. catalina take the fall so big sur and the m1 max exist in a world where that fall has already happened
0: and that's exactly how I would have done it too if I was in charge.
1: Yep, it's super smart.
0: Okay, uh, setting aside feedback, uh, we have talked a lot about note taking and research apps in the last couple months, mm-hmm. and I talked about at the end of that show how it's a very exciting time for this stuff. All this stuff is like in motion. I feel like um, a bunch of apps are like getting into the game of backlinks and different ways of storing and holding research. And if you're into this stuff, it's a very dynamic time right now. So I thought we should do an update with some of the stuff that has changed. Okay. Um, Devin think uh, who is a sometimes sponsor has made backlinks easier and they are really putting the gas down now on the iOS side. So that's something we had talked about in the show that they weren't, you know, they need to work on iOS. I'm already starting to see improvements. So that's happening um obsidian which was the app i talked about that uses the model of markdown files so you get a folder of markdown files and obsidian kind of lays on tops of on top of them and gives you a um a way to apply a bunch of like researching and linking tools to your markdown files uh so there's a lot to like a lot about about that model your your data is never captured by a third-party app you can use other apps to resource it. Like I use obsidian at the same time I use drafts on the same data files. Um, and um, but anyway, obsidian is going at like breakneck speed. I cannot get over how every, it seems like every three or four days they have another update with new features. I've never seen an app develop so quickly. Um, they have now enabled third-party plugins. And that's one of the parts of the obsidian model is that you know, third-party developers can make plugins for it. So a bunch of people are coming out with interesting plugins to add features to the app, and those are coming out daily. They now have a paid-for end-to-end encryption service, which has always been a hang-up for me with some of these apps because I want to use them for confidential data. And with the Obsidian model, for $4 a month, they have a back-end end-to-end encryption. I supply my own password. They don't have it. They can't access my data and it works flawlessly between two Macs. So, if if security is your thing, Obsidian has a solution for you now. And I've been using it for a few weeks now as we record this, and it's been great with no problem. So I can just turn my vault over to them. Um, uh, it still though is a collection of Markdown files, so you still have that ability. The stuff isn't encrypted on your device unless you turn on your disk encryption, but uh, the cloud process you know sending uh, at rest everything with the end encryption you're fully covered and uh they've added url callbacks as well now so um one of the big things i need for kind of contextual computing is the ability to drill to a specific location in a specific app obsidian's now added that as a native feature you just right click on the note and you save a url callback and so i can you know, use my contextual computing system to get to a specific note for a specific client or a specific Mac Power Users episode with just one click. So, like, even since we did that show, Obsidian has, like, blown up with new features.
1: And it's a really small team, right? Two people. That's amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, they're doing something smart. They're monetizing already, you know, like the the end -end encryption you pay for they also have a feature which i didn't even mention when we covered it on the show is you can have a a publish account with them so you can basically publish an obsidian vault as a website which could make sense for like an online support document for your software or an internal company wiki or something like that it's just got a bunch of markdown files as the back end but you can publish it to the internet where anybody can get to it. Like they put all their support documentation into a published obsidian wiki. And so, and they, but you pay for that, you know, so they found all these ways for you to pay. And then if you're a nerd like me, these beta builds, if you, you know, I think I gave them $50 and I get access to the pre-release beta builds and I can't get it. You can't give me enough of that, man. I want every new feature as soon as it's available. Another thing they've done is they've like enabled all these cool markdown features. Like they have, um, I've been playing with, there's a JavaScript language called mermaid. Okay. Which is what
1: I said. Okay. (laughs) I've not heard of this.
0: Okay. But what it is, it's a, it's basically a markdown way to create diagrams with markdown language. And it renders the markdown into a diagram and it's not hard to learn. And you can build diagrams right into your obsidian graphs. It's, Man, I I can't say enough good things about Obsidian, but there's a problem. Oh, boy. And that is that every week there's another new app that supports this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's my worst impulses. Maybe the reason people like Mac Power users, but the reason my life is hell sometimes is because (laughs) I want to try all these apps out. (laughs) Note Plan uh, went from version 2 to version 3, which now supports Backlinks. And, you know, it can lay over Markdown. And then there's another new app that I'm fascinated by. And I know a lot of listeners are too, because I've started hearing from you, called Craft. It's really have cool. Have you checked out Craft?
1: Yeah, it's really cool. So it is, it's sort of like, I oh, know we haven't talked deeply about Notion, but it's kind of like Notion in the sense that you have these blocks and you can build out a document out of these uh, out of these these sections or these blocks, and it all syncs. Log in with an account, and you have it in actual applications, not just the web browser on the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. Yeah, native apps. Native. Which none apps. Of
0: these other apps do. Yeah.
1: And so you can go in here, and you can say, "Okay, I want text at the top, and then I need uh, maybe an image, or I want to change the design of this page," and you can kind of build out what you need and like obsidian and really like so many of these other tools really coming on strong and fast with updates Uh, i was part of their beta and it was amazing to see how fast that they were working and they continue to to work really quickly and it's very polished for such a young product i mean if you just opened this up not knowing anything about it i don't think you would guess how young this platform is
0: yeah and they, you're right about the speed of iteration. I wrote the developer, like, one of the things is they have a folder structure, but at launch, it was a single layer of folders. And yeah. I said, you need subfolders. And he said, uh, we're on it next week. And <laughs> the, the following week, they released it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are really pushing hard. And like Steven said, they're native apps and they're on Mac, iPad, and iPhone. So unlike um, Obsidian or Rome, you've got a native app on all of your Apple platforms. Uh, The block-based stuff is really nice because it allows you to easily indent, and you can even fold blocks together. You can have different ways to visually present them. And they have, uh, not only do they do backlink, so if I have Steven's name referenced in a Mac Power User's outline, and I look up Steven, it'll point back to that Mac Power User's outline. But they also have deep linking, which means every single, not only every single note in Obsidian, Every single block has its own backlink. So just as an example, I, I take notes from a phone call I have with Steven in an Obsidian um, document. And then I've got a bunch of subpoints under that. But I just go to the, to the block where I said, you know, phone call with Steven. I can deep link that, just a right click on it and save the deep link. Then I could go in, let's say I'm in, in day one, diarying my day and say, I had a call with Steven today. I don't have to write down everything I said with Steven in my day one diary. I can just put that deep link in day one and it'll click not only to the page in craft, in but it'll click to the exact line in craft. You know, it's really powerful when you start thinking about these deep links and, um, and accessing data. Like I can have an Omni focus project that points to, you know, a segment of a craft page and I can get there immediately. Have you played with that?
1: Uh, A little bit. Um, I've really been playing much more with sort of some of the layout stuff. So I've I've talked about this where I was going to build out like a visual sort of representation, like a a nice way to peruse what's in my collection. And I'd started that in Notion, but like I just hated using Notion. And so I've been working on that in craft with all these sections. So you can go in there and like click a section and go to another thing just kind of within craft and with craft, you can go ahead and you can publish all of that, which is also uh, pretty fantastic.
0: Yeah. And um, it, it feels like a lot of things like it, it, it has a lot of feel of Rome research to it, but it's a native app instead of a web service, but it's not as powerful. Rome actually has more power tools. Um, it also feels a lot like notion because of the block nature of everything. It doesn't have all the tools Notion does, but it has the ones in Notion that you probably use the most. And they've they've stated, I believe publicly, that they're working on tables, so they're going to be adding tables. To yeah, it. and and it just there is a lot of polish on this brand new app that that does it so much.
1: I've been really impressed with it, and I think it's going to become a much bigger part of what I do moving forward.
0: I talked to the developer and said, "So, what is your you know encryption model? What's your security model?" They do their own sync. They have a stated privacy policy. They don't read your stuff, blah, blah, blah. But it is not end-to-end encrypted. So um that if that's an issue, that you know, that's something to be aware of. They were very honest with me. They said, look, we're looking at into end, we're not gonna commit to it right now, you know, mm. but we're looking into it. And I thought that actually the honesty of it was was pretty refreshing. They didn't just tell me what I wanted to hear. Uh, So, you know, the security isn't quite as robust as the end-to-end model you're going to get with Obsidian, but you get a native app that's on all your devices. And I'm running a bunch of data through Craft now. I'm still running data through Obsidian. This is a moving target right now. We'll be keeping you posted on the show, but uh, just like the M1 Max, this is another area of fast uh, moving progress. So as Mac users and, and people who are enthusiastic about this stuff, there's a lot to to look forward to in the next year. I mean, who knows by the end of next year, there could be another app. Um, the downside of course, is you, as you invest into one of these, you start putting your data into it. It's a pain in the neck to move your data around. Mm-hmm. Um, you just kind of want to pick one. And I would almost argue at this point that craft is probably the starting point. If you want something that's going to work on all your devices.
1: Yeah. And, and be a nice, native experience as opposed to something that has maybe there's an ios app but you're stuck in a browser or a poorly done electron app yeah you can
0: export as markdown you can also export as text bundle so you don't lose your data in there it's not like an evernote situation Hmm. um data portability i think obsidian is better and because it's already portable just by the nature of the way the app works it's just a bunch Uh, of encryption is encryption is better with obsidian with end-to-end built in if you want it uh, so there, there's definite like reasons to go one way or the other. I'm not sure where I land in all this yet, but I am loving these developments.
1: It's a really exciting time for this stuff. Definitely mean, yeah. way more exciting than I thought we would see. This kind of felt like a, okay, we kind of have the players we're going to have, but over the last few years, it's gotten really interesting.
0: Yeah, I agree. And then craft has been, I talked to the developer has been in development. They They started three years ago. I mean, this is not something where they just decided to jump on board and it shows. I mean, the app is really polished. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought it'd be fun since we're getting close to the the holiday here. We mentioned Christmas trees earlier. Um, what are you doing this year for home automation with your holiday stuff?
1: Uh, I mean, I haven't really added that much. So we have had our Christmas tree on a HomeKit plug for years. I really like being able to set that on a timer or to be able to manually say, hey, Christmas tree, turn off and turn on. That's that's great. Um, I did find this year a outdoor home kit, like, water or, you know, weather-resistant plug. And yeah. I'll dig it up to put it in the show notes. Uh, it's been sold out, and I kind of got lucky, I think. And just landed on the page when it was available so it it like plugs into a single like outdoor plug and you get two plugs on the end so it's actually the Wemo Wi-Fi smart outdoor plug. Oh really? Um, and so I have our outdoor lights on that. So in past years I've had Christmas tree on HomeKit, but I haven't had anything for the outside lights and uh, this is my first Wemo experience and it's been great. Uh I've been really impressed with it and I have this like on the front porch tucked out of the rain even though it's weather resistant but now the the outdoor christmas lights are homekit enabled as well. Yeah,
0: I have had trouble getting outdoor reliable homekit plugs. The only one I had to return several cuz they just wouldn't work or pair and then the only one I had good luck with was the ihome. Mhm. Um and so I've got that one. We talked on I think several months ago on the show I I have a, a fountain or like a a pond like waterfall attached to it and it handles the amperage just fine so that's great. Um this year my home kit um plug which was a Wemo, failed on me. It just stopped working. I don't know why. But I've been I've had that for many years now and you know, I felt like okay, gave up the ghost. So I ordered cheap ones on Amazon. They are called Miros M E R O S S or Miros, I guess. But the um uh they were 15 bucks each or I got 2 for 20 and I uh <laughs> I put all because we have two Christmas trees? That's a whole story. I don't know if you want to hear about it but, but there's we have two trees. And um I've got them both on them and like you for the first time I put the outdoor lights on a switch too cuz I I traditionally had it on one of those light sensors. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. You know, where it when it gets dark, they turn on, and then it right. just puts off a timer, and four hours later, they turn off. But with the location of it, we moved the location last year, and every time we'd pull the car into the driveway, the headlights would convince it that the sun had come up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny, actually. Yeah. yeah.
0: So what I do is we, we run a cord from the garage to the outside to feed the lights, so I got another one of these $15 Ross indoor ones. And it's in the garage at the source. And it's been working great. You know, the outdoor lights turn on when it's sunset. They turn off, you know, set set time. With the indoor lights, I've created a a couple custom um, scenes in HomeKit. So we can just yell out to Siri and it will turn the Christmas tree lights on. And we basically run our tree all day. I mean, as soon as somebody wakes up, the lights go on the tree. Okay.
1: That's really funny about the headlights. I could see that being a little difficult to troubleshoot at first.
0: Like, no, it's not because you pull in a driveway and the lights turn off. And you're uh, like, oh, okay. okay. So
1: you put it together pretty quick. I'm not sure. I'm <laughs> su- I, I may have thought about that for a little while. Like, what's going on? That's pretty funny though. Technology is
0: great. <laughs> we, we did. We just did it. Recorded. It'll be going. Actually, it will have released when this show goes out. A 12 days of Christmas automation Rosa and I did on the Automators podcast. Oh, so. nice. You should listen to that. We went real deep on Christmas playlists and Siri, and just like going deep. But uh, but yeah, I I just was curious how you were handling your Christmas lights, and it sounds like, I mean, you, you did what I did. You you got some reasonably priced HomeKit plugs, and you're good to go. It's just yeah. not that hard anymore.
1: That's all it really takes.
0: HomeKit is really good for basic stuff like that. If you've got an an iPhone and you haven't tried HomeKit, order yourself, you know, a couple cheap. Outlet plugs off Amazon because it, it really is nice. Like when we go to bed, we're like, "Did we turn the tree off?" You can just look at your phone and and turn it off.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you can do. I mean, then you can get into scheduling and and all sorts of stuff. We we're basically all HomeKit now. We unplugged our Amazon Echoes maybe a year and a half ago, and just have. Home pods and our phones and watches and stuff. And it's been, it's been really great.
0: Yeah. The other day we had the, you know, the postman ring the doorbell and there was a box there from Apple. And I'm like, what is this? I don't order anything from Apple. And uh, I opened it up and it was a Home Pod mini. And my daughter had bought it. <laughs>
1: she bought herself a HomePod Pod mini <laughs> to put it in know, her room. So
0: yeah, for her room. And like she's using it. The way you use a HomePod mini, you know, she's using Siri and listening to music. It sounds pretty good. I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of people writing articles about the HomePod mini and how it doesn't sound as good as the HomePod. Well, of course not. It's like one third the price, yeah. you know, of course. But, uh, but if you're in the Apple ecosystem for a hundred bucks, you know, being able to yell into the air and turn things off and on, is kind of nice. It is. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com MPU and make your next move with offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Everybody that's doing anything they want to share with the world needs a website. And I really believe you should own that website. And the trouble always is, is how do you get it set up? Where do you host it? What happens if your plugins get compromised? I was just talking to a friend recently whose website was compromised multiple ways and he didn't even know it. Well, that's where Squarespace comes in. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. So whether you want to create an online store, a portfolio, or a blog, or just have a place to talk about your upcoming wedding or your upcoming baby, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have the problems my friend had because Squarespace handles the whole widget for you. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show up your next great idea. So my daughter is graduating college. And uh, one of her senior projects that I thought was really wise that the school does is they want the students to design a website because, you know, she's in video production and people want to see what you're doing. Sure. Um, So we set up a Squarespace website for her. And she has built this beautiful website that is really her calling card now. She goes out, you know, she's actually going to graduate school, but I mean, if she picks up gigs along the way, she's got this great website and it was all done with Squarespace. It's got media in it. It looks great. The copy's awesome. And it's all done for just $12 a month. And I think anybody that wants a website should just start at Squarespace. I run both Max Barkey and my legal site in Squarespace. Uh, You can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com/slash MPU. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com/slash MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for the support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website.
1: So we've been talking on uh, more power users, which is is for Mac power user members. You get an ad-free version of the show each week, and there's an extra segment at the end. We've been talking about your iMac Pro. It had some repairs, so we thought we could uh, put this in the main show and kind of give people a little feel for what that was like.
0: Yeah, and I also kind of wanted to do this segment to talk about best practices for dealing with the Genius Bar. Great. Um, and and I'm sure you've got opinions too, as a former genius, but, uh, from the outside, you know, uh, and we talked about a more power users, but what happened was after we got evacuated, I had to, I took my iMac pro with me. I never turned it on. It was all wrapped in blankets and everything. And in the car, and when we got back home, I turned it on and the screen was flickering like often you know it would it would just flicker off and then back on it was happening when the apple logo appeared on the screen so it wasn't software it was hardware something had gone awry Um, and it was very frustrating because i wanted to get back to work after having been thrown out of my house for a week and i couldn't Um, but i had to deal with the genius bar and getting it fixed Um, first of all um, if you buy an imac pro Buying extended Apple Care is a no brainer because it's like $150 on a $5,000 computer, you know? Yeah, well worth uh, it. So, yeah. So I had the extended warranty, which was really a blessing here because it probably would have been quite expensive otherwise. Um, getting a genius po- appointment in the pandemic is, is difficult. I talked earlier in the show with my laptop how they didn't want to give me one. Um, in this case, they did give me one. And it wasn't available on the website. If you go on the website to sign up for a Genius appointment right now, it's it's quite difficult to get them because they can only let so many people in the store at a time, and they've got all these pandemic you know precautions. Um, and when the iMac Pro was busted, I couldn't get one online. It said there were none available, but then I called through to Apple Service, and they found one for me. So um, sometimes I think there's a second step there if you can't get a Genius appointment.
1: Yeah, and with a with a desktop, you don't have the option of them shipping you a box. You've got to go in somewhere, and so I think that probably did you a favor too.
0: Yeah, and that's something I learned is Apple does not ship iMacs, mm-hmm. and you know, with with a laptop, they will be happy to send you a box, and you can send it to them. And I, I think it's in Texas somewhere. They've got some factory or big warehouse where they fix laptops all day. But the um with the iMac, they do the repairs in house, so that. That's something. Um, so I was able to get an appointment and I had an iMac that wasn't completely dead. It would turn on and it would work. I could open apps and I could do things, but the screen would flicker off and on like it was haunted, like two or three times every five seconds, which is madness. You can't work on a computer that does no. that, right?
1: No, not at all.
0: But what I did was, um, you know, so there's, there's two steps to the process. You call Apple support first and then you go into the store Uh, so my advice before you call apple support is if you're listening to mac power users you know a bunch of stuff already so do as much as you can before you get on the phone and maybe even get a piece of paper and write down all the steps you've taken you know did i i logged into a guest user account you know when does the problem appear in this case by explaining to them that i went to a guest user account and it still did the same thing and by explaining to them that it shows up at the Apple logo, you know, at the Buddha process, I was able to convey to them that I'm not, you know, bozo. I know what I'm doing and that this problem was hardware. They figured that out on the phone uh, from that bits of information, which saved me a bunch of time on the phone because usually they're going to want you to go and do all these troubleshooting steps that weren't really ever going to work in my case.
1: So, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's good advice. And you can do all of those, those basic things really in very little time. You know like you said try guest user, if it seems like it's hardware reset the NVRAM, reset the SMC, like try different keyboard and mouse if it's not accepting input, like try to simplify things as much as possible is is my advice.
0: Yeah, and when you get the Apple support person on the phone, I just read them the list of everything I'd done so far. I said mm-hmm. this is the behavior I've got. This is what I've done so far. And that communicates to them that you're a, you know, you're a pretty knowledgeable user and it allows them to avoid a bunch of stuff on their checklist. So my call with them only ended up being like 15 minutes where it could have been hours, you know? Um, But then she, and I think that also helped her um, cut the line for me to get me into an appointment, you know? And, And you're right about the shipping thing. I said, well, if you could ship me a box, I'm happy to send it to you guys to fix it. She's like, we can't do that. And I'm like, well, then I need an appointment. She got me in. So I think they do have a magic button they can push to get you an appointment. All right, so that's the first step. The second step is bringing it into the Apple store with the least amount of hassle. Now, because this computer was working, albeit it was haunted, <laughs> um, uh, it, but it does have like client aid and stuff on it. And I really didn't want to just turn it in to Apple. Uh, with a bunch of data on it so what i did was i made a backup in addition to my you know usual backup system i made another super duper clone of the whole computer and then i wiped the computer you know i put it into recovery mode and i erased the entire hard drive and then i made the password my genius is cool (laughs) you know play to the room right
1: yeah Yeah. I mean, I think there's some people think, well, you know, they're the experts and like, are they, are they going to want to prove their turf or something silly like that? And yes, of course there are geniuses like that, just like in any service industry. But what I found, especially with a Mac, like no one just strolls in and buys an iMac pro casually. Like if you show that you know what you're doing and you're willing to be a team player, it'll get you far.
0: Yeah. So when I showed up in the Apple store with a computer and they could tell immediately that it was a hardware problem because when they plugged it in in their store, it started flickering at the Apple logo. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, well, have you backed it up? I said, I have erased it for you. You know, So there's nothing on it. Uh, so you don't have to worry about protecting my data. Yeah. They're like, what's the password? Password is my genius is cool nice and he laughed but you know like hey you know i need this guy on my side right yeah you know and it's weird now because when you go into the genius bar you're standing like 10 feet away
1: from the guy you know? oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny
0: but either way it was the shortest genius appointment i've ever seen he's like well you know this could be the display it could be we, we don't know what it is we're gonna have to open it up and find out and um he says, it's going to take us like a week to get the parts and a week to do the fix. And that's the one thing I regret. I wish I had said, could you do it any faster? Because mm-hmm. you know, it was really hard to get work done without my, my main computer. But either way, it did take two weeks. And when I got it back, um, they did the type of repair that you later told me is called a spray and pray. That's right. <laughs> they replaced the display, they replaced the logic board, and they replaced the power supply and i got thinking afterwards well what else is there inside that computer than a display a logic board and a power supply
1: not there yeah there's not much left uh i mean on one hand basically every component in your machine is new and you know you probably don't have that much longer on the apple care on it i would
0: think yeah no i don't yeah so you
1: got that going for you uh but yeah i'm glad i'm glad it got fixed you know the imac is uh can be tricky to work on you got you got to cut glue and do all these things and you know I don't know how many iMac pros they've gotten in the store that may have been one reason you got a lot of parts that they didn't have the um, the expertise or like the experience that they may have had with maybe a standard iMac or something else, but I'm yeah. glad that it's back up and running,
0: yeah, but uh, the whole purpose of this discussion is I think if you have to deal with Apple and a repair, don't go in there with a chip on your shoulder. Actually go in there trying to help them out as much as you can. And I feel like they will help you out as much as they can. And and this isn't one of those, like, you know who I am. I make this podcast, blah, blah, blah. Nobody, they had no clue who I was. Right. You know, right. it wasn't that, um, I, I do, I do think you just need to make it, try and make it as easy as possible for them and they'll want to help you.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that's totally right, dude. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, like they're excited about technology the same way we are. And so Kind of showing that you can be on the same team and like that you have done some of the work and that you're open to their expertise as well, all that will go a long way all right uh
0: this is the part of the feedback show where we talk about stuff we bought. oh boy, <laughs> so I bought something this month okay Actually, I bought two I bought two things
1: all right. what are you up to?
0: The first one is uh all the fault of Mike Schmidt's. He's been bragging about his clicky keyboard, so I bought after many years of not having a clicky po- keyboard, I bought a Keychron K8. Yeah. Keyboard.
1: Yeah, Keychron's well known. I think it's a good uh sort of starter entry board. I'm kind of speaking out of turn. I'm not a big mechanical keyboard user. Uh yeah. I had a Key2 a K2 for a while, but it didn't really work for me. But so what do you think about it? Like this is your your first one Well, i had tried
0: the k2 like a year or two ago when i i kick-started it when they first started Mm -hmm. and it had those half switches where it was like it was trying to be not a clicky keyboard but being a clicky keyboard at the same time and it it just really didn't work for me honestly and but but mike got me thinking like this a true clicky keyboard with the full throw switches and one with arrow keys and you know the the bits i needed And uh, you know what? I've been using this thing like a month, and I actually really like it. Um, It certainly is not a keyboard I could use while podcasting. No. Um, uh, I I got it with the brown switches. Okay. And I know that's like a whole religious thing. Like, you know, people are going to tell me I'm an idiot for not getting blue or red or whatever. But uh, brown switches are quieter, um, and I use the keyboard in the central location of the house because of, you know, COVID. So I didn't want to, like, when the kids are watching TV have dad's keyboard, like, getting yeah. in a way.
1: Click, click, clack, clack.
0: Yeah. But it feels good, and uh, it, it is fun typing on a full-size keyboard again. And then, of course, now that I've had it a month, it's like, okay, uh, I'm a nerd. This keyboard is interesting in two ways. Number one, I can change the key caps, you know, the plastic keys. Yeah. But this one is also what they call hot swappable. I can remove the keyboard switches and replace the switches. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to your business partner. Oh
1: no.
0: Uh Michael Hurley, oh, who no. has gone way down this rabbit hole. And he sent me a bunch of websites and I looked into it for like an hour and realized this is something I need to like slowly back away from. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Because it's like a whole thing. Like it's it, you know, it's back to my Hot Wheels with the engine poking out the the hood. I mean, you can like you can build your own custom keyboards and spend a lot of money and time and I I don't want I don't say I don't have time for that right now, <laughs> but yeah. But I I am thinking I want to pl- trade out the key caps, you know, the plastic things on them. So I reached out to the Mac Power Users Forum, and immediately people turned me on to some cool Star Wars keycaps. Except the problem is one of philosophy. They're all Imperial keycaps, uh-huh. and I'm a Rebel. You know, you got to choose a side. Can't do that. So. I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but uh, I'm going to have fun with this keyboard at some point. I don't think I'm going to go the full Hurley on it, but uh, I definitely want to fiddle with the keycaps. I, I think I'm going to like pick out some cool keycaps. I think it would be fun. And like uh, the RGB lighting on the keyboard, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. It may be just a, a bridge too far for me.
1: RGB is cool. Talk about that more in a second. The other thing I bought, though,
0: I just want to mention, this really isn't... A lot of listeners are not going to care about this, but I know there are some musicians out there. And um, Yamaha just released a digital saxophone. It's called the YDS 150. And um, you know, I talked to some folks at Yamaha and was able to get on a list, and I got one. And this is—it's a nerd tool too, because like the problem I was having, it's hard to play my horn when my kids are in online courses all day, right? Mm-hmm. And so. I was finding I wasn't playing as much, and I want something I can practice on that I can use headphones with. And, like, guitar players have that. Like, electric guitar, you can plug headphones in, or a trumpet player can use a mute. But saxophone players, there's too many holes in that thing. You know, it makes a lot of noise, no matter how you play. It. Um, so I um, I got one of these uh, digital saxophones. And it's amazing. I mean, it the sounds... I don't think you can digitally reproduce a saxophone sound, but it tries. But it's also got some good synthesizer sounds on it. But it's got a headphone jack on it, so I can play in the headphones. It's got a USB port, so I can plug it into, you know, like Logic and record MIDI out of it. And it's got an iPhone app, so I can adjust it with the iPhone. I mean it pushes all my music and nerd buttons at the same time. It's got a Bluetooth radio. I haven't figured out how yet, but I think I can attach Bluetooth headphones to it. I'm just Ooh. using the corded headphones, mm-hmm. but you can also do a Bluetooth connection to your iPhone. And um I don't know, I'm just re- I'm just really loving it because they like went out of their way to make it feel like a saxophone. There there've been digital saxophones before, but like the keys are just buttons that you press. But on a real saxophone, the keys are hinged on a post, so there's like a certain amount of travel. It's kind of hard to explain, but you know, uh, an actual saxophone is not like a button you press. And Yamaha did it right, and uh, wow, it's it's really fun. That's the bit of technology I've been having the most fun with lately.
1: Looking at pictures of this, it looks really cool too. Like it's yeah. it looks like a cool thing just to have in your oh, room. Yeah. Well, they they put like a
0: like a bell on the bottom, like a soprano sax bell, so I can put it on my stand, and so I just keep it on the floor next to my desk. And now I used to do the same thing with my regular sack, but every time I play it, my kids open the door and yell at me that I'm going to get them kicked out of college. I don't understand. So now I keep this one next to the desk. And like, when I finish a project, I'll just play scales or play Christmas song or whatever on it. And I can keep the volume really low and it's just great.
1: That's really cool.
0: Yeah. Steven, Uh you wrote one line in the outline. Mm Mm-hmm. I built a PC.
1: Yeah. Let me send you a picture of it. Yeah. But this picture will be in the show notes. So I've been doing some, uh, some more Twitch streaming. It started during the podcast. I've talked about it here and other places. And I was doing it with a little surface laptop, which is a fantastic little notebook. Like if you need to run windows, it's, it's great. But it uh, was not enough horsepower to do the, all the video crunching and streaming that I was doing, and I was really having a lot of trouble out of it. It was dropping frames and making a whole bunch of noise that you could hear on the stream. And so I was like, well, let me start, you know, putting stuff together for a PC. And now is a terrible time to build a PC because there's new processors and new video cards. Everything's out of stock. But a, let's call them a nameless benefactor we'll call them that, hooked me up with one of the new NVIDIA graphics cards that you can't really get without paying scalpers pricing. And so I built a system uh, around that. And so it's got an Intel i7 in it, 32 gigabytes of RAM, this NVIDIA 3070 Founders Edition video card, and a whole bunch of RGB. And it took me probably six hours to build it. I've never built a PC. So I've done, I mean, I could, Take apart almost any modern Mac, but I have not done a PC. And I will say my skills definitely transferred, like just how you handle certain types of connectors and cable, you know, cable and wire management and that sort of thing. I felt like I had a leg up because I had my experiences with Mac hardware, but I took my time. I was very methodical about it because when you build a PC, you're just picking a bunch of components. And, you know, I did all my research. I knew they were all going to be compatible with with each other. But it's not like there's a single guide. Like, okay, you bought these specific parts. This is how it all goes together. There's just some general rules. And so I've been watching videos for years. You know, I I like to follow what's going on in the PC industry, even though I don't really cover it directly. I think it's important for me to know what's going on there. And so I kind of knew the general operation of, okay, this is how you build a tower PC. And uh, it came out, I think, really nice. And it's super fast and it's silent. And I've been rubbing through a bunch of video. In fact, it's so fast that uh, my my brother, who's been on the show before, does a lot of video work. And he's on a now a 2017 iMac, but he uses Adobe Premiere. And so we've talked about next time he has a really big render, like a final render and export to bring his project over here and we do it on this thing because it would be a lot faster than his iMac and it's great. And now I have something that I can play some games on. So I'm looking forward to playing flight simulator and some uh, other older games. I will admit over the Christmas break now that I've got a, a nice PC that can do it.
0: Yeah. It's this have four fans. Do I see four fans? And so
1: there, hand? there are two in the front. There are two in the top and then one in the back. So five yeah so air so comes five. in oh, yeah. the front uh through a radiator that so this the CPU is liquid cooled with the radiator uh, I'm using an, an AIO cooler so there's not like a separate pump uh so that's liquid cooled and then the three fans, the top two and the back one exhaust hot air and it it works great okay. so its runs super cool and the case is as you can see in the picture has uh black glass. Like tempered glass on the side on the front and side so you can see into it. I figured if I'm gonna build one, I should really like build one. You know what I mean? Like
0: yeah, crank yeah, the RGB the up. Yeah.
1: I've built the opposite of my Mac Pro, is what I've done.
0: Yes, you have. It's it's LED. It's like I feel like this computer should be on the Vegas strip. I mean, it, it really is amazing looking.
1: <laughs> I'm really happy with it. And uh I've got a uh just to round it out, I I bought a used off of eBay. 4k dell display and it showed up fine to have that on an arm on the desk and uh yeah it's great and you know installed windows fine all the drivers like it's totally different from the mac os experience but it was really fun to build something from scratch and i, I was so happy that the first time i powered it on it powered on i didn't have have to like go back and <laughs> like rewire something um yeah i will say though i did have a facetime conversation with uh quinn nelson my co-host on flashback he sure. built several PCs and Hackintoshes. I was like, okay, show me where this goes because I cannot work out where I go from here. And he was very gracious with this time.
0: So what games are you going to play on it?
1: So most definitely Microsoft Flight Simulator.
0: Yeah, that, that new one looks amazing.
1: It does. Mike and I played it over Twitch on his PC and his PC struggled with it, but it's much older than this one. This one should be able to play it no problem. So definitely that um but now I have access to the Steam library on Windows so like I grew up playing like Age of Empires and that those sorts of games and so I'm going <laughs> to get back into some of those. I am not a run around shoot 'em type game person but sure. I like strategy and I like flight simulators so I'm going to give it a run for its money.
0: Yeah, I did last year I got into the Star Wars like online game for like a few months and I realized that I I uh, I need to feed my family more than I need to play Star Wars. Online. Yeah. So so I I I, I just stepped away. <laughs> but uh, this is, it, it's kind of funny to me, the idea of building this machine and then playing like Age of Empires on it.
1: Yeah, it's nice <laughs> because I don't have a Windows machine. I mean, its primary purpose is the streaming. And like, I hear you out there, it's fast overkill for Twitch streaming. But A, I didn't want to yeah. touch it for a long time. And B... Again, my anonymous benefactor hooked me up with a video card that was unfindable. And so it has a lot of headroom for future use. Yeah. And
0: not only that, man, it's just like, it's kind of fun to do something like this once in a while.
1: Oh yeah. It was great. I mean, I spent half a Friday and half a Saturday putting it together and a lot of fun. It's the same
0: reason I spent an hour watching those videos of people building their own keyboards. It's just like, yep. There's a part of you that wants to do something like this.
1: hmm Yeah. It was, it was really fun.
0: Um, like for me. I'm really interested in some of the, you know, Arduino stuff going on out there.
1: Yeah. If I just had
0: time, because that's something that is a much less expensive gateway. But the problem is every time I read about it, it's like I read what people are doing with them and it's not that interesting. <laughs> you know, It's like I haven't found a good reason to make one yet. That's fair. I think. But this is nice looking. Well, good job, man.
1: Thank you. I'm I'm really proud of it felt like it really accomplished something when it booted up the first time
0: <laughs> yeah and and it, it doesn't hurt to have your your uh, leg in windows a little bit anyway, especially on Mac yeah. power users because sometimes we we have some crossover,
1: yeah, and now I can do that much easier than even with the surface laptop. It's like well, this is kind of underpowered for what I needed and now I have like another workstation so I do hope that that will be uh beneficial as well
0: well either way, uh, that's our feedback show uh for this uh this few months thank you everyone who writes in with the feedback we really appreciate it and um, i've always said that the listeners are so smart on this show i love hearing from you and getting ideas from you and, and we're really happy to share it back with the audience um we are the mac power users you can find us over at relay.fm slash mpu thank you to our sponsors and uh, this week that's our friends over at one password woven and squarespace um, if you want to join in the forums, you can do that. over at talk.macpowerusers.com. Um, and next week, we're going to be looking up to a little bit back at 2020 and towards 2021. I'm really looking forward to recording and getting that show out to you. But in the meantime, have a great week. We'll see you then.